Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. All righty. Welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. My name is Yusip, and normally I'd be here with Tobias as well. But turns out that Tobias lost his voice, so he cannot speak. I think this is a blessing because now I can speak more. So normally I'd ask Tobias what he's been up to lately, but now I have to say what I've been up to lately. I promise to keep this brief. So for me, it's been gym time. So we still have the gyms open in Finland. I'm, I'm super grateful for that. And I've been doing this, this model where I, I do one pre-programmed thing at the gym for four weeks in a row. So I have three different training exercises. I do that um, three times a week, and then I switch every four weeks. So for the past 12 weeks or so, I've been building towards last weekend, and, and I needed to go and try to reach my new personal records. And I did. I did two new records. Super happy with this. But now I am aching, so all muscles in my body are, are really burning and aching. So I, I feel I need to take a small break now and hopefully resume gym later this week. But just so you don't have to listen to me, even though I think this would be entertaining uh, with, with just myself, I do have a guest. So we have Martin Brandt. Welcome, Martin. And, and please introduce yourself in a bit. But before you do, I, I have to admit I'm super bad with Dutch names. So, so I know there's a seaside location in the Netherlands, and I had to look this up on Wikipedia how to type it in, and I had to copy paste it in my notes. So, so for me, as a Finn reading Dutch, uh, I can read this as a Scheveningen, and, and I'm <laughs> I'm fairly certain it's it's not pronounced so that somebody from the Netherlands would say, "Oh, used to sounds like a fluent Dutch now." So, so please introduce yourself and, and make sure to tell us how to pronounce this word. Well, it's basically it's called uh, Scheveningen. Uh, so it really depends on, on, on where you are. But it's, it's also an old joke uh, whether to test someone is really a native Dutch or not. So, uh, hi, my name is uh, Martijn. I live in uh, the Netherlands in a little town called Eindhoven. Uh, you know, all from, uh, from uh, Philips and all, all kinds of stuff. Um, so yeah, Scheveningen, that's a pretty easy one. So I'm gonna, gonna, uh, with it, try Yoshi for a bit and try to pronounce the word uh, little shoe polish brush in, uh, in Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I have it written in, in our shared notes. So we use one note to, to share, share some notes so that we know what we're planning and talking about today. So I, I do have it in here. Let me, let me, let me really focus here because my, my muscles are still aching, but I think I can focus on this. So little shoe Polish brush, and this is awfully Dutch, <laughs> having a brush like that. So the word is schön poets borsteltje. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's a, a schoen poets borsteltje. <laughs> exactly what I said. <laughs> exactly, it's fluent. 
<laughs> no, but seriously, I'm I'm really impressed on how you do Dutch. So that's that's compliments to you. So hats off to you. Thank you. Um, so uh, I live in the Netherlands. I uh, I do Azure. I'm a cloud architect at uh, Portiva, which is a Microsoft Clouds uh, partner, uh, which uh, it's also based in the Netherlands. We all do all kinds of stuff like collaboration on uh, Office 365. Uh, we do Azure. We do security. All kinds of stuff. Uh, so that's really cool. I help uh, customers uh, design new solutions, uh, help migrate them from all data center solutions towards the Azure cloud. Um, so I try to keep up with all the latest Azure tech and all, all kinds of stuff. And uh, I like to help enthusiastic, bring more enthusiasm to my customers. Um, I like uh, a lot of movies. I like all kinds of stuff like the Coon Brothers or Christopher Nolan or all kinds of sci-fi, so all the, the Star Trek and all that stuff. Um, a bit of gaming, a bit of Nintendo, a bit of an old school guy. Uh, and going out, uh, yeah, well, these days with COVID-19 lockdowns, it's, it's a bit of an issue. But I do long for the days that we can just have a night out and, and have some fun. Um, so what I've been doing lately is, um, well, uh, it's a lot of Azure lift and shift from helping customers uh, from their old data center solutions to, uh, to Azure, but also making uh, green fields uh, within Azure. So building a landing zone for those customers to really help land their solutions uh, within the cloud. And a bit of uh, application modernization, so reshaping applications, taking them away, away from virtual machines and more towards platform as a services. And also trying to do a little bit of construction during these COVID uh, times, and that's also a bit of a challenge. I think you can uh, back me up on that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's, um, that's what I've been up to. And uh, yeah, well, of course, last week we had Ignite. So that's also... Uh, a big happening for you. Um, how was uh, how was it for you, Yushi? Uh, for for me, so Ignite last week. Uh, I'm I'm sort of longing for those days that we spent 30 hours traveling to the U.S. and and then heavily jet lagged. We go to the actual event. We meet with friends and people and and people in the community. But then again, I also quite like the fact that I can I can sit in my own home office, tune in to five sessions at the same time, and still read emails <laughs> on the side because emails need reading. And, and, and then when I'm done, I'm still at home. I'm not jet lagged. I can spend time with the family. I can go out and do whatever. So, so it was different for sure. And I, I feel that a lot of people were expecting Ignite to be perhaps more technical, so more deep dive techie things like IT Pro stuff and whatnot. But there wasn't that much of that. So I, I did like quite a bit of the content, but perhaps the keynotes, I did watch all of them. The keynotes were, were often a bit more marketing, a bit more selling. And and I'm I think I'm I'm used to the fact that at TechEd or at Ignite previously they would spend like one portion of a three hour keynote on telling us that, okay, so let's talk about biased AI or democratizing access. And for somebody coming from the Nordics, I'm like, I have no idea what this is. I don't care, let's get to the techie things. So now the keynotes were more like, like selling a vision. And that's, I think what Satya Nadella did say, that. This is the vision for 2030. Let us lay it out for you 
and I think it's a bold approach. But at the same time, I feel most of the audience was expecting. So what's good today, not what might happen in 10 years from now. Yeah, exactly. So for me, it was it was a bit of more of a reiteration of what they what they said previously. So uh, I think um, it's, it's of course it's it's really hard to keep up a high pace in tech these days, and especially with, with what's going on in the world. So I, I'm guessing that also factors into it not having too much uh, tech info or new announcements. So the, the, I had a little shopping list, a little wish list of things I wanted to see announced on Azure, um, but didn't get there. So yeah. Uh, I can understand. Um, a lot of people told me the same feedback. Well, I'm, I'm I'm missing the tech a bit. So yeah, I also missed physical events. So not not only walking around there. So my feet uh, thank me for this digital event, <laughs> but uh, mostly uh, well the interactions uh, outside of the sessions. So when you when you look at something like Ignite or TechEd. It's, it's not only those sessions and sitting in a room for 50 minutes and, and watching someone speak. It's also about meeting your peers, uh, meeting the partners, uh, perhaps visiting a booth that you never heard of before and being impressed by some kind of small company with big tech and uh, all kinds of stuff like that. So that's what I really miss and, and going out with friends and having a party and all kinds of stuff. So. Yeah, hopefully in uh, in the late 21 or 22, uh, we can pick that up again. <laughs> I, I sure hope so as well. And what, what I just recall is that for the past five years or so, what I would often do, I would perhaps go to Ignite, spend the week there on site, and then my family would join me on the last day. So they would fly on the last day to the same destination or a different city, and we would meet halfway in between and then spend a long weekend together and and since we cannot do that now either i think my family is telling me that you see it's time for you to go elsewhere so we don't have to see you for a week <laughs> and and then, then perhaps it would be nice to see again <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so so on the keynote and this was on the first day of the keynote we had nadella first then they introduced alex kipman the the the, the mixed reality the, the hololens guy and he went on to announce Microsoft Mesh. And, and immediately I'm thinking Microsoft Live Mesh back in the day when we had, yeah, exactly. had that before, OneDrive and SkyDrive and whatnot. And and I, I'm not sure if it was a key announcement, but how did you find the whole idea and, and the thinking they had on the Microsoft Mesh? What did you sort of gather from that? Yeah, so I think what's really important within the AR space, so I think it's important to reiterate what uh, Azure Mesh is. So what I think Azure Mesh is, is a, is a means for AR collaboration. So meeting in the shared space and, and, and seeing those interactions in real time. So I think uh, VR and AR are uh, uh, getting more improved uh, the the groundwork has been laid out so things like object manipulation and seeing things in through uh, hololens uh, glasses if you will um, i think that's been done for a couple of years now so now the focus gets more on how do we use this in a more practical sense and how can we collaborate in a more practical sense because we've all seen the sales pitches from the HoloLens, where someone wears those glasses and they're walking around on a construction site and seeing the building all, all laid out and all fancy. Um, but when there's no interaction between that or there's no clear path on how you get there, so if you're like building the solution, if you're like the, the architect that wants to convey its, its vision towards its customer, 
Uh, how do you build that? What's the framework for that? And I think that's one of the building blocks that can contribute to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and the demos they showed on the mesh, they I think on purpose they were they they were made to look a bit like Pokemon Go, a bit childish in a way that it would be easier to understand. And and I'm sort of trying to think that maybe in the future, if we have a Teams meeting like we're having now, maybe in the future this this would be something we'd have the glasses on, or I would have a tablet, and and it would somehow show you in there as well. Could be, but still, especially after COVID-19, eventually, I think we are going to embrace more of these person-to-person meetings and, and the opportunity to meet real people as opposed to virtual people. Yeah, exactly. So so moving on, we have we have a bunch of interesting stuff we picked up from Ignite. Let's let's start with the infrastructure stuff. And let me pick one of the, the first ones that I already tried out. And, and that's Windows Admin Center now uh, has Azure Portal integration, meaning that if you have a Windows VM, there's a, there's a Windows Admin Center preview button. You click on that and you can provision the extension. And then you can use VAC Windows Admin Center to manage that specific VM. Uh, have you used Windows Admin Center before this? Or are you more of the type of person who uses RDP directly or PowerShell remoting to manage your servers? Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit mixed in that. I have used. Uh... Windows Admin Center before, so it's it's really cool uh, stuff. If you have like a managed services department that's responsible for like a lot of different systems or a, a lot of different customers, so it's a really nice unified way of giving people access. Um, I do think it's a prime example of uh, tech first and 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 the rest a second. Uh, so when it comes to governance or authentication or a delegation of all, all that stuff, something that's really native within Azure, um, that's kind of lacking within Windows Admin Center. So I've been following Windows Admin Center for a while now, um, even its predecessor. Uh, I don't think it really ever got a name, but the original vision from Microsoft was, uh, well, we have Azure and we'll make a connection to your on-prem and you'll manage your on-prem using Azure. So a bit like Azure Arc does these days. Mm. So that was the original vision of, of Admin Center. Um, a lot of people uh, complained about this setup. They said, well, I want something to stand alone. Can you make it a Windows Admin Center so I can install it on the server on-prem and do all my stuff within my data center? Um, and now we're going full circle again. So like Windows <laughs> yeah. Admin Center within the portal, which was the, the original vision. But I think uh, the overall IT ecostructure, the ecosystem has warmed up to the idea, well, uh, let's have a single management pane. Let's have it in the cloud. And we're seeing more and more services uh, being combined within the cloud. So not only virtual machines, but also uh, storage services or data services, which is only unique within Azure or AWS or whatever. Um, so the move towards the Azure portal is, is a no-brainer for me. Yep. So I think Microsoft was just waiting for the timing to be right. Well, when can we integrate this within Azure uh, without getting a bit big pushback from the community or the ecosystem? So I think that's a great um, indication that we're there that we're doing more and more uh, mixed cloud stuff. So integrating the on-premises that you still have and also keeping tabs on whatever you're building within the clouds and having those worlds combine more and merge more and having that positive feedback, it's a, it's a great overall health of the ecosystem. 
I, I agree. And and when I think about it with Windows Admin Center uh, now part of the portal, I can now enforce whoever needs to manage my VM, perhaps through RDP. I can now enforce that you authenticate through Azure AD. I can enforce MFA. I can enforce conditional access. I can do all sorts of things to ensure that, that it's really you and, and you're securely authenticated. And then I will give you access to RDP instead of opening the port to half of the of, of Europe and saying, let's hope that the correct person tries to authenticate and then, then we'll see what happens. So, so, so building upon that authentication layer is, is a great thing, yeah. It is. So, so moving on, uh, let me pick one more, and then, then, then uh, I'd be happy to hear some more from you. So, Windows Server 2022. This was announced as a preview, I think, and I'm still on on 2019 on everything that I do, and I don't have that many VMs anymore. And I, I think the the major innovation here is is definitely the the hybrid story with Azure. That's one thing. And I think this also, like 2019, this has the built-in support for containers, meaning Windows-based containers. That would be one. Have you had a chance to try out the new preview yet? No, I haven't tried uh, 2022 yet. Normally, I would be the first guys installing the ISO within a virtual machine and trying it out. Uh, but for me, what I'm seeing is um, the, the greater releases of Windows Server is more of an aggregation of all the in-between uh, releases that we had. So when we're looking at the semi-annual semi channel releases of Windows Server, um, we can see those fe features being added one at a time. So the, the big box uh, releases of 2019, 2022, those are really just a combination of all those features. So when you look at the release notes of 2022, it's not really a big surprise for me. So I'm seeing things that I've seen before perhaps so like um, having uh, containers and kubernetes on windows it's something that's been done but it's not really native within uh, 2019 and companies um, don't really appreciate the semi-annual releases of windows server i think uh, they come with really strict uh, support dates and and, and supportability uh, so they, they tend to re rely more on the long-term uh, releases like 2022. So it's a really great thing to see all those new services being integrated within them. So that's that makes this an, a more important release that some of us may may want to admit, really. Uh, yeah, for, for sure. And I think after this this uh, recording is done, I will just download the 2022 and, and try it out. And I know what's going to happen. I will spin it up in one of my Hyper-Vs locally. It, it it reboots, I see the Windows logo, it looks exactly the same as 2019, and I go, <laughs> okay, I've seen this, moving on, doing something else. So, exactly. so let's let's pick one more from the infrastructure side. Uh, which one would you like to pick that, that you sort of feel is, is, is of interest to you and perhaps for the audience? Yeah, well, uh, one of those tech that's uh, that's new and upcoming is Bicep. Uh, I'm not quite sure if, if you if you discussed it before, but for those unfamiliar, so quick recap, it's basically a, a language on top of uh, the ARM platform that Azure supports. So normally you would build your ARM templates in a JSON language, and you would submit that to Azure if you want to deploy your infrastructure as code, for instance. So if you want to deploy a VM, you can make a JSON file 
file submitted to Azure. Uh, the feedback on that is, well, the JSON file is not really human readable. It never really was supposed to be human readable, so it's not <laughs> yeah. really a fault. Uh, but people wanted a bit more uh, language that they could manipulate and share easily. So um, you'll see a third-party solutions uh, like Terraform or stuff like that being released uh, for this purpose. So Bicep isn't going to replace ARM uh, templates, uh, but it's more of a complementary uh, language uh, on top of that. So you can compile a, a Bicep file to an ARM template, and you can deploy that towards Azure. So the big news this week was they had a new version, version um, 0.3, and uh, that um, brings ARM parity. So that means whatever you can do in an ARM template, you can do within a Bicep template. So that's big news. And they also said, well, we now support going towards production. So you can actually start using this without worries that you'll become an unsupported mess within a couple of months. Uh, so they, they said, well, go ahead and, and, and rely on this and we'll support you in the future. And one other feature that they added was ARM decompilation. So if you have already ARM templates uh, at the ready, you can uh, decompile them towards bicep files. So that gives you a running start when trying to adopt this new language. Uh, you don't have to throw away all your ARM templates or have to rewrite them from scratch. So that's uh, those two points uh, together really makes the adoption of this uh, new language uh, a great thing. So you don't have to uh, rewrite everything or have to worry that you'll be unsupported within a few months. So I think that's a great milestone for them. Bicep looks really interesting, and, and even if it's 0.3 version now, but if they give production support, this this signals to people like me that already I will start going through the documentation, the repos, to figure out how I can use this better in the future. And, 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 and with ARM templates, I've always struggled a bit with them. I might export something from Azure portal, I get 3,000 lines of JSON. And I go, okay, so what do I specifically do with this? I will just deploy this and hope everything goes well. So having something more readable, having something a bit more declarative in the sense that I want to provision an Azure storage account with this, this, this property, please do it. I don't care how you do it. And if this is the solution for that, uh, do you, do you, think that they will eventually come up with a better name, or do we really like the bicep name for now? Well, uh, it took a while for me to, to, for the name to catch or get the meaning of it. So uh, an ARM template is, of course, your arms that you have on your body. So on your arms, you have a bicep. So it's not really a replacement of your arm, but it's more of a part of your arm. So when you think of the bicep name in that sense, well, it really makes sense. That said, it does make it harder for to look up documentation right now on Google. Uh, so <laughs> if you give it a couple of more months and the name comes becomes more mainstream, I'm, I'm guessing you'll you'll find more articles on on that. So whenever I try to find something on on Bicep, just include the, the letters ARM and you you'll be fine. <laughs> Good to know. I, I feel stupid now because I did not make the connection. I always read ARM as, as capital ARM and now exactly. it's connected. But yeah, it makes perfect sense. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm learning new stuff here for sure. So let's hop to something a little bit different. Um, I, I'm looking at the IoT stuff and IoT is always interesting. 
But then I often feel that some of the announcements are stuff that I feel, well, I never really had need for this, or I don't have a customer case where they would actually benefit from this, or it's so far out. Like I think last year we got uh, we, we got some of the, the hardware uh, circuits, the processors in Azure, and they go, hey, this is what, what you can get in the future. I'm like, okay, I don't really care how it looks, just make the stuff that I need. So on IoT, what would you highlight as, as interesting announcements from that, that space? Yeah, so uh, what Microsoft reiterated last week was uh, they really want to be a global computer where they see a, a broad spectrum of computing services. And on one side, you have the Azure Compute uh, in the cloud with the with its big servers and all kinds of stuff. And on the left side, you have all kinds of uh, small little devices, all kinds of sensors and all kinds of stuff. And between them, you have a range of, of, of solutions. So. When we're talking about Azure IoT, we're mostly talking about the left side of that. So it's a, they really want to build a platform where you have like a unified way of talking towards the, the devices and you have one unified management interface, all that stuff. So one of the things that they um, announced was a device update for Azure IoT Hub. So um, that sounds like a typical Microsoft name, but uh, <laughs> what it what it basically means, if you know configuration manager for your desktop machines, it's basically a solution for uh, making sure that your IoT devices are staying up to date, which is uh, a really cool proposition. Um, I don't do that much with the IoT space within Azure, but I do have some IoT stuff at home for my home automation and all that stuff. And one of the biggest issues is, of course, um, a lifecycle management of those devices. So making sure you have the latest firmware and uh, you're not being insecure with your network communications or your wireless protocols, all kinds of stuff. So I wrote an article some time ago regarding the lifespan or the life cycle of the cloud and, and all the products that you use. So when you buy a laptop or a tablet, for instance, you use that thing for a couple of years, and then by then you'll give it to your uh, your son or someone else or whatever. It's not really an issue. Uh, but when you think about something that you build within your building, so like a sensor on the wall or like a, a smart lock on your front door, um, that becomes more important because um, those devices, you probably install them not for a couple of years, but for dozens of years, um, and you want to maintain that level of security. And when you think of that within the scope of like a building, if you have like a building management, you have like a corp, uh, a campus with multiple buildings, multiple levels, multiple rooms. Uh, so that's a lot of IoT devices. So the the Azure Cloud IoT solutions doesn't necessarily only focus within how do we manage all that data, but also how do we manage all those devices that actually give that data. So I think that's the first step towards tackling that problem. We're not quite there yet because uh, one of the issues that we have with, with IoT is that it's really fragmented. Uh, there's a lot of different solutions, a, uh, a lot of open source solutions, which is great, but it's it's a really diverse ecosystem. And uh, to say there's one standard, like you have, for instance, for smartphones, you have Android or iOS, or you have a Windows or Mac PC, that doesn't really exist on IoT. There are so many different uh, platforms, services, frameworks, and all kinds of stuff. So that's one of the biggest challenges right now. That's an interesting, interesting option now. I use Azure IoT Hub, just like you do for, for home automation interesting small things I want to build around IoT and 
And the IoT Hub, I, I feel it's it's super easy to get started with. You provision that, you say, here's my device, get connected, and that's it. Then you can send messages from the device to cloud and cloud to device. So the device update, as I now understand it, is that it allows me to utilize IoT Hub to say, listen up, I've got 5,000 devices here. I want them to be patched, updated, rebooted, what, whatnot, and also get reporting on those that is it is it doing it well or not. I haven't tried the device update my, myself yet because I only have a few devices. And actually last week, before I knew that device update is a thing, I, I figured that I need to automate the, the patches and updates to one of my Raspberry Pis. So what I did is I downloaded the Power Automated Desktop, which is now free. And I, I captured a macro that opens SSH connection to my Raspberry Pi and, and runs, runs the sudo commands <laughs> to patch the kernel, reboot it. And I figured somebody else would probably do a nice script for this, but I wanted to try if I can automate on the desktop. And sadly, it works, which is a bit scary at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I have a similar setup. So I have like a little IoT setup with all kinds of open source solutions uh, based around Docker. So basically, I just pull the latest Docker images and apply those and have it working again. So in my, uh, you know, well, how do you say it, naivety, um, I updated and then in the morning. And when I uh, went to lunch downstairs and I wanted to uh, watch some TV, all the automation in my home broke. So I couldn't even watch TV anymore <laughs> because the TV wasn't getting power or whatever <laughs> event wasn't getting there. So yeah, update management for IoT is a, it's a bit of a challenge, yes. And then we have Azure Percept, which was something new that they announced. Have you had a chance to figure out what do we do with Azure Percept? Yeah, what I'm hearing uh, right now, it's basically applying AI on um, edge systems. So when we're talking about the uh, edge IoT, we're meaning uh, we're, we're referring to devices that's uh, local to your system, local to your building, for instance. So for instance, uh, when we're looking at cameras and audio devices, uh, this can be used to apply AI models uh, on those kinds of devices. So one of the use cases could be, for instance, we have these days the smart cameras that keep track of your, your driveway, for instance, and we're seeing more and more cameras support object recognition. So they can see, well, this is a dog or this is a car or whatever. And you can set your alerting based on the objects that are uh, spotted and not so much the motion that's being triggered because uh, leaves blowing in the wind can also be uh, motion for a lot of cameras. Uh, so the object recognition is something new. You'll see it more and more with, with cameras that you can buy in the stores. They have big fat stickers on them. Well, now with AI and object recognition, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and what I'm seeing, and I'm, I'm not really testing it myself, but what I'm hearing from uh, Azure Percept is like a service built around that ecosystem. So uh, being able to run AI at the edge and uh, do real-time AI based on audio and visual models. Okay. So I, I, as I understand this, and I openly admit I haven't gone through the documentation that deeply yet on Azure Percept, is that I do need some sort of a hardware device, uh, meaning the IoT device on the edge, 
old school people like me would say DMZ, as it used to be called, but now it's Edge. It's more hipster, I think. And 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 it's audio and video. And I'm I'm looking at the docs Microsoft.com, and and there's a bunch of different scenarios and use cases like no code vision AI prototype. This is one. And you you seem to be needing a dev kit in order to get started with this. And and I I think the dev kit includes like a like a physical thing that then runs your piece of code and libraries for Azure Percept. Exactly. So so the space between the device that's running it and the the device that's running uh, the model um, has to be as short as possible. So what we're seeing these days within the, the the machine learning and the AI space is that the models are being trained within the cloud. So you give a lot of data, a lot of uh, templates, a lot of examples to the cloud, so it can build its own model. You can also buy these often uh, a lot of these models, um, and then you'll just apply the model logic to the device. So the device doesn't have to be a big fat uh, GPU doing all kinds of crunch calculations. That's only when the model is being calculated. And when the model is being applied, it can be a, a, a very small, uh, tiny bit of data. So often you see those dev kits being uh, really tiny, a bit of comparable with like a Raspberry Pi or like a Raspberry Pi on steroids or something. Um, that doesn't have like the compute power of Azure or, or your GPU or something, uh, but it does have enough power to apply the model in real time to your uh, model, uh, your vision or AI, uh, your audio uh, models, should I say. Okay, um, I, I had to go and look on a Microsoft store how much the dev kit is going to cost me because I, I feel I have to order one. I have no idea what I'm doing with this, but perhaps it would be fun. But it's $349 for the Azure Percept dev kit. And this, this is like two pieces of hardware. And then there's the Azure Percept Audio, which is $79, giving voice-enabled features like, like a, a microphone and custom commands and, and, and anomaly detection and stuff like this. So I wouldn't say it's too expensive, though, because for a little bit over $400, you can actually get to start building custom hardware-based solutions. Exactly, exactly. Okay, interesting. Uh, if if I ever go and order one and get something up and running, I will be sure to let everybody know <laughs> that I've, I've built something on IoT. Okay, so so let's move forward. And I'm 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 looking at the networking stuff. And and at the same time, I feel networking is a bit like storage in Azure. It's it's super stable. It's been there for ten years. It just works. And if you talk about storage to somebody who's not in Azure space, they fall asleep. A bit like when I fall asleep when somebody talks to me about governance. So on networking stuff, uh, what would you say is is, is, is is like the most interesting bit that they, they announced or, or mentioned? Yeah, so we had a little bit of an interaction on this uh, on Twitter, uh, where they have a lot of uh, three and four letter acronyms uh, <laughs> within the article. <laughs> so they had a, a new announcement that's called Azure Route Server. Um, and I'm not really a diehard networking guy, so I, I, I know what BGP means. So it's, it's like a protocol to announce routing uh, between larger networks. Um, but 
Azure Route solution is basically a solution around that. So uh, making sure that BGP routes are being managed correctly, are being announced to their, their bordering uh, uh, networks and all kinds of stuff. So that's basically a solution built around that. I'm I'm looking at the um, at the documentation of Azure Route Server, and there's a lot of acronyms. You can do this and that, and you have your PGP goes here, yeah, and your SD WAN goes there. But when I look at the picture, and the picture in in essence says, here's a subnet. On top of your subnet, you will add your ARS, your Azure Route Server, and on top of that, you have your network virtual appliances doing 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 the, the traffic switching for you. And when I look at this picture, Azure Route Server means routing and remote access server to me. So the old school Rust server you would put on Windows NT for, for dial-ups and VPN connections and whatnot, it feels like it's that, but just doing the routing bits. And it's, it's in preview now, so you can configure this, you can get it up and running, but I also feel that this is only useful if you care about the routes, the cost you have on different routes. If you figure you have an express route here and you have multiple subnets, you need to optimize the traffic between those. Then Azure Route Server is probably something you've been missing or feeling that I need this. But for anybody else who just spins up VMs and services in, in a VNet and not really caring that much what's happening then, you are not going to need Azure Route Server ever. Yeah. Uh, the, the other one is um, advanced networking services. So they did add a, like a bunch of different things in there. And I'm, I'm looking at the VPN diagnostic features, which, which I feel is useful because I can do a bit more debugging if VPN fails. Uh, did, you, did you have a look at anything else in networking stuff? Yeah, so to reiterate on the diagnostic feature, it sounds like something that would have been in Azure for like five or ten years ago. So <laughs> if you ever worked with Azure with a with a VPN appliance or a VPN gateway, uh, basically when it doesn't work, you just call up support and let them look at it. So whenever there's an issue, uh, you'll have some discussion with like a, a network supplier on-premises, which, which configures like the on-premises firewalls and making sure that the tunnel works. Um, and whenever you have something uh, that's that's going wrong or it's not working you always have to contact support there is a little button within azure that gives you some kind of diagnostics but it's it's really not not up there so what i'm feeling right now is they've been developing internal tools for like years and years that the support desk is using whenever such a ticket comes in and now those tickets those features are more, becoming more broadly available and, and given to the end users so for me i think it's it's more of a maturity of the networking layer like you said it's been solid for like 10 years uh, but it's more like a, a maturity of those services and they have confidence well we can share a little bit more of those tools with the end users whenever they they, they know what to do with it <laughs> so I, I, yeah go ahead yeah. please yeah, so building upon that uh, VPN, um, so virtual WAN is something that was introduced uh, a little while ago, I think like two years ago. Um, it's still a bit misunderstood as to what virtual WAN does and whenever you need it. So there's, there's like an, an, um, a crossover whenever your, your company gets large enough if you, or if you have a lot of networks that need to be interconnected, virtual WAN is a really good service for that. So what they're doing is they're increasing uh, the number of 
concurrent users that you can connect to the virtual WAN hub. And that really allows you to connect more and more people to the same networks, regardless of where they are or if they're based in Europe or America or whatever. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's also uh, a lot of improvements there. Uh, they have some some additional uh, features like um, uh, authentication, building uh, certificates or Azure AD, and all kinds of stuff. So I think they're they're playing catch up. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people still integrate a lot with their on-premises networking. So a lot of companies, for instance, like use Cisco or whatever, and they really want to build upon that ecosystem. So what we're seeing more and more with virtual WAN and SD-WAN solutions is integrating with those uh, SD-WAN solutions. So Microsoft is acknowledging, well, we do have a solid base, but most customers want to integrate with their own base and uh, they these tools allow it for more and more so that's really uh, something that's that's great sounds good sounds good um so moving on from networking stuff there there's um a lot of if, if you call them perhaps announcements but they probably didn't drop all of these during the keynotes they, they would have a session during ignite and they would say okay this is now out and this is ready and obviously having a cloud service becoming available doesn't necessarily mean that it hasn't been available last week but it's 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 now ready for production for example and that's often what it means with generally available it's supported there's documentation there's possible pricing in there so so a lot of stuff came out also beyond just super new services but existing ones perhaps they expanded or whatnot uh what's your favorite from the ones that they announced so uh two favorites of mine is uh, the azure resource mover which is basically a service that allows you to to move uh, those resources between uh, the different resource groups, but also between different subscriptions. Uh, so often you'll see uh, companies that have started early on Azure, or if they really didn't implement a landing zone uh, before they started their Azure products, that you'll see a lot of um, different subscriptions all over the place. So they have a little bit of resources there, a little bit of resources over there. Um, so it's basically a really cool way of, of moving those services and, and reusing uh, all the effort that you that you uh, put into that building that solution. Um, so that's one of those things. And the other is uh, Azure Backup Center. So Azure Backup Center is mostly just a GUI. Uh, it's basically just a layer on top of all kinds of different uh, backup services that are available within Azure. Uh, but it is something that gives um, uh, IT ops uh, more insight as to what's going on and how is the like the daily backup check that they often do with like like a little paper sheet that they have or they where they cross off all the service that they have. Uh, that's basically uh, that, but then uh, combined over all kinds of different resources. So before, when you were looking at, uh, for instance, recovery services uh, within Azure, you'll see your VMs doing great you'll see your SQL doing great. And the backup center is like a unified GUI um, to get a more broad perception of how is my uh, business uh, continuity doing uh, within this context. I, I had a look at backup center when it was in preview and, and it's funny, it, it sort of is a service, but as you mentioned, it, it's a GUI, meaning that you need to find it from the Azure portal and then it sort of pulls together the, the status for all of your backups and, and what the status is like on, on a single pane of glass. 
and then then it allows you to navigate further to to configure individual settings. Uh, another thing that went GA was Azure Communication Services, and I think we mentioned that briefly in one of the previous episodes. And this basically allows you to send text messages, uh, do group messaging, and and build your own messaging solutions using Azure. And and this came in preview last year, I think in Ignite perhaps last year, if if memory serves me right. And now it's already in in GA. And this is this is one of the things that I was missing in the preview. You couldn't provision ACS. I know it's a stupid acronym for this, but you couldn't provision ACS, Azure Communication Services, in Preview so that you would have a European phone number for sending text messages. It would only allow you to have plus one from the US, and then when you did, it would say, well, you're not based in the US, so you cannot have this, so please don't try this. <laughs> and, and it was super frustrating, but I, I need to try this if, if it works now. Uh, okay, so so perhaps last but not least, let's talk a bit about uh, Microsoft certifications. So so a bunch of things has happened in there, and perhaps to highlight, uh, they did update the certification poster. So that's the the A2 huge PDF file. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes. And, and they added SC200, SC300, and SC400. So security operations center focused certifications, and they are now in beta. Are you, are you planning to do those at, at one point? Are they of interest for you? Uh, yeah, with, with a, bit, a little bit of a side, uh, side note there that um, I, I do have colleagues that focus more on security. So uh, one of those uh, subjects that I'm, I'm really more interested in in writing is more data solutions within Azure. So that's also a space that's really evolving really quick. Uh, when I looked at it a year ago, it's totally different than from what I'm seeing today. Um, so it's, it's, it's a bit of a challenge to keep all that, that knowledge up. So I also uh, becoming more selective in, in where I put my knowledge. And, and when we're seeing um, uh, what, what's typical about 10 or 15 years ago, it, it was really common for Microsoft consultants to get like every certificate that's that's out there. So you had like <laughs> yeah. your, your Windows server and you had your, uh, all kinds of services built on top of that. You get your certificates and you, most of them had like a stack of them. Uh, so well, well, I have these 10 certificates and they're valid until the end of times and 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 I never have to look at it again. And so, so it wasn't really a, a, an accurate or a fair representation of the knowledge because they, they might have learned it for like a bit. Uh, they passed the exam and, and then they, most of them forgot half of it already. Um, so now with the new role-based uh, certifications within Azure and having them expire also within two years, really uh, brings more focus as to uh, what you want to do within Azure and also uh, really uh, the exams themselves have become really uh, in-depth uh, when it comes to the questions. So normally it would be like glancing over subjects or knowing a large, large, large array of knowledge, uh, but not really into in-depth knowledge. So um, I think that's really changed in the last couple of years and the, the role-based certification really helps on that. I, I agree. And 
and I've done most of the Azure certifications that I feel support me in my work. So often that includes the developer focused ones, the security ones and the architect ones. But for example, the IoT developer, I didn't I simply didn't have time to do it, even though it looks really interesting. So now with the renew and they announced this in December last year in, in 2020 that that you have to renew and and um, for that renewal you have to do something and then in february this year 2021 they sort of updated that and said well the renewal is actually an assessment which you can do online and then last week those assessments came available so six months before your certification that you've you've already achieved is about to expire you get to do the renewal assessment and it's an online assessment about 25 questions and it, it sort of says that there's time limit but when i did mine last week there, there was no timer visible and you can use whatever on the side so there's no not anybody watching through the webcam that is, is is used to using google to look up the answers or not and the idea is really to scope out do you know anything what you're talking about and I did the Azure Architect one and the Microsoft 365 Architect Enterprise Admin, whatever it's called. I did the renewals on those first. And I have to say that they weren't too challenging, but they were challenging enough that you really have to focus on that for 20 minutes. Okay, they really need to see if I know this stuff or not. So I, I feel it's more fair now. I don't have to travel to a test center. I don't have to pay anything anymore. So it, it's also more fair to the global audience because, uh, for example, in Finland, the, the certification exam is about 200 euro, which is about $240 maybe. But if you travel to a nearby country with a different looking economy, the exam might be 50 euro in there, but it's exactly the same exam. So I feel the assessment is fair now. It's free for everybody and, and that's that. Exactly, and 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 uh, getting those exams and getting those initial certificates, uh, sure, it needs a, a bit of a threshold. Uh, it needs a, an exam. It needs to be proctored. It needs to be whatever. So, I fully endorse that. But for the renewal, I I, I completely agree. It's it's something that should be uh, like a nudge to keep you interested in the technology and and making sure you still know all that valid uh, valid solutions. And uh, I I do think that's a good step. Uh, seeing that uh, the knowledge within the cloud is, is moving so fast. Uh, whenever I'm not looking for a couple of months I'm on a specific subject, I'm seeing it, it, it going away, rocket into the moon with all kinds of new tech. So um, I do think it's a fair uh, middle ground. So having to force people to, to look at it again, if only to just visit Microsoft Learn. So the new uh, certification renewal process is based entirely around Microsoft Learn. So if you haven't tried uh, the more updated Microsoft Learn website yet, uh, I do encourage people to, to really take a look at it. Uh, you get like interactive questions, but also on uh, on the fly Azure Labs. So they, they provision like a, an Azure tenant for you to, to go out and to test and to do whatever you want. And there's no cost associated to it at all. So that's really a big step forward uh, for those people that don't really have the means uh, to get an, uh, an education or, or get more certification within that. So I think within uh, the Western Europe part, we're a bit of a, 
uh, on a luxury horse where the 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 exams and the, and the the courses are more readily available but in more uh, underdeveloped parts um, it, that's not really typical uh, so when we talk about taking an exam example uh, we often get like a test center like 10 kilometers away but there's also people in the world that have to travel like 100 or 200 kilometers just to get to a test center and they don't even have the option to do an online practice test so keep keeping that in mind it's it's really uh, great to have like a, a middle ground where you don't have to go to a test center just for renewal because that will be a huge load on a lot of people around the world indeed and a quick pro tip here that i found out is that if you have done a certification and it's about to expire, you log on to docsmicrosoft.com with the same identity. You have your MCP, your, your Microsoft Certified Professional ID. Then you find that certification that you want to renew and add slash renew at the end of the URL. And it will show you all the data about when is this going to expire? Can you do it now? And it will give you a button to do it immediately. Um, Alrighty, this was a lot of content. I, I, I think there's so much still happening, even if we've sort of felt initially that Ignite didn't have that many deep dive stuff sessions, but there's so much in Azure that we could keep talking about. Um, and as has been the tradition now for two episodes, but I like to call it the tradition, uh, we, we do have the unexpected question here. So previously, perhaps for the first 50 episodes, we, we had the uh, the, the language thing that Tobias was trying to uh, teach Swedish to me, I tried teaching Finnish to him, but we sort of ran out of words. So we came up with the unexpected question. So either one asks the other one an unexpected question. So let me ask you this. Uh, if you couldn't work in IT for your profession, what would you do? What would be your profession and, and, and why specifically that? Yeah, well, not in IT. So that that's really a, a big break, big breaking point for me, uh, <laughs> because I've always been an IT. I've I've looked at my my father's computer when I was like four or five years old. So that's that's really a big impact on me. Um, and also, if I could remain in IT, I would do something with printers, because uh, printers always fail and printers always need to be sold. Uh, so. If you, if you want a gold mine, go do something with printers. But if I wouldn't do something in IT, I would do something in the, in the learning space. So uh, a big part of uh, my job right now is inspiring people and getting people more educated to do more stuff. Um, so probably would do still do something tech because I still do love tech, uh, but it probably will be more in like a training capacity. So something yeah. like that. <laughs> sounds 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 like a good good backup plan and and the printer thing though if if this IT thing is not working out for you just get a bunch of printers and start selling and fixing and maintaining those <laughs> exactly exactly and uh, what would be your answer to that question <laughs> um I, I actually have a backup plan here and and I I do realize I I haven't shouted this from the top of my lungs because then somebody says well you see now you really have to do your backup plan so for the longest of times. I figured that when I, if this IT thing is not working out for me, or if I simply grow tired with IT, and, and I've been in IT for 30 years now, so if if for the next next 30 years this is not fun anymore, my backup plan is that I will I will move to Switzerland first, and and they have a bunch of schools 
where you can study to become a, a watchmaker. So, so you design your own custom custom uh, uh, watches. I, I, I think it's called a timepiece or something more fashionable. And, and I would design my own tools. I would design the engine, not source those, and I would build the whole thing. Not too techy though, so more mechanical, more analog, with some twist in there, like perhaps an IoT endpoint or something like this. And, <laughs> and I, I would just make a limited batch, like five per year, sell those. And, and, and if I couldn't sell them, then I would probably sell pizza on the side just to just to uh, save me from starving. But that would definitely be doing something with my hand, something that produces a tangible result. And often right. in IT, you do a lot of work and the end result is like a, um, a debug message telling you, okay, and you're like, oh, this is so amazing, but there's nothing I can touch here. Exactly, exactly. So that's really great, yeah. <laughs> So this was fun. Thank you for for uh, visiting our podcast, Martin. Uh, if people want to reach out to you, what would be the best uh, channel to get in touch with you? So I try to be really active on Twitter. Uh, so we'll put the, my Twitter handle uh, in the show notes uh, because not a lot of people know how to write Martin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you can always reach me on, on, on Twitter. Uh, you could probably also reach me on LinkedIn if you want. So uh, whatever you want, give, give me a quick uh, shout out, a quick message, or if you need help with something, um, feel free to reach out and I'll, uh, I'll be happy to help you or point you at least at the direction where you can get some, some real proper help. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we'll, we'll add those, those contact details in the show notes. Now I, I need to go and, and find my Schoen Poets Borsteltje. And, and hope I can polish my shoes. <laughs> exactly, really good. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks for being here. Thanks to the audience for, for listening. And until next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.